The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. Go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, both good and bad, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. Friend, he asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. So as I was thinking about preaching this text this morning, I was all excited to talk about the robe. I mean, that is the thing that sticks out to you about the story, right? There's this fantastic wedding. The king has rented out the biggest hall, the biggest ballroom, and the biggest hotel in town. And he's invited all the riffraff because nobody else will come. But if you're going to be at the wedding, you've got to wear the wedding clothes. And everybody does that except one. But as I, as I read this, I kept noticing not just the robe, I kept noticing the violence. See, the person who is not wearing the robe, we read at the end, is bound hand and foot and thrown out into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. But before that, we have some very, very rebellious invitees. I mean, it's one thing when you get invited to a wedding you don't want to go to, and you decidedly decline to even send back the RSVP card, or you deliberately send a gift of, you re-gifted old toaster from 20 years ago. But these people seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. Now, this story is also told in, in Luke's gospel. Jesus tells this parable. Luke doesn't mention all the violence. He just talks about all the excuses everybody made. But here in Matthew, Jesus presents this violent, violent response. And it, uh, The other thing that struck me this week is that this is the backdrop of so much of what we find in Scripture. Just yesterday, our, our daily office readings from the prophet Micah in chapter 5, 
reads, Marshal your troops, O city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor gives birth, and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He'll stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely. For then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be their peace. Now that may be a familiar passage to you, if you're, even if you aren't reading the office, because at Christmas time we always hear that Jesus' is coming fulfilled the prophecy of Micah, that you, Bethlehem Ephratah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient of days. But the context in which this prophecy is delivered is one of violence. This is a ruler who is going to protect God's people against their enemies. Micah 5 begins with a siege being laid and the ruler of Israel being humiliated, struck on the cheek with a rod. But what's coming, Micah says, is this one who will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. He'll be majestic in the name of the Lord his God. And they'll live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be their peace. Look to it, our Isaiah reading from today. Isaiah chapter 25, especially the beginning part of it, where we start out, O Lord, you are my God, I will exalt you and praise your name for in perfect faithfulness you've done marvelous things, things planned long ago. If that's all we looked at, then it would just seem like one of those lovely, heartwarming prophecies that we could feel pleasant about. But, but he goes on to say, you've made the city a heap of rubble, the fortified town a ruin, the foreigner's stronghold a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. Therefore, strong peoples will honor you. Cities of ruthless nations will revere you. You've been a refuge for the poor, a refuge for the needy in his distress, a shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat, for the breath of the ruthless is like a storm driving against a wall, like the heat of the desert. You, O Lord my God, you silence the uproar of foreigners as heat is reduced by the shadow of a cloud, so the song of the ruthless is stifled. Again and again, not only in the histories, of course, the historical record of God's people, but in the prophets you get this theme of the nations coming against God's people. You get that, of course, in the Psalms as well. That great psalm, a mighty fortress is our God, is presented uh, as a way of demonstrating God's sureness, his ability to be a refuge in the face of attack. And so it's no surprise that we get all this violence, is it? Halfway to where we are in Matthew, Jesus 
is instructing his 12 disciples, and he goes on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. This is Matthew chapter 11. And, and when John, John the Baptist, heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, so are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. Good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who doesn't fall away on account of me. As John's disciples are leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. So what you guys go out into the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? No? What did you go out to see? Did you go to see a man dressed in fine clothes? No, people who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces, not out in the middle of the desert. So what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yeah. John's a prophet, all right, but I tell you, he is more than a prophet. He's the one of whom it's written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. We were talking this morning in the, the group that's reading through the Bible in a year. We just transitioned from the end of the Old Testament to the beginning of the New, and there's this very, very strong link between uh, what, what is prophesied, and, and especially in our Bibles, the way Malachi ends, and the beginning of the Gospels, where all four of the evangelists in some way uh, start with John the Baptist. John is in many ways, John the Baptist the last of the Old Testament prophets. He's a, a transitional figure bridging the world of the Old Testament and, and the world of the New. And Jesus says about him, among born, those born of women, there's not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist, yet he was least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. For from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. Where all the prophets in the law prophesied until John, and if you're willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. Whoever has ears, let him hear. The kingdom of God has been advancing forcefully, and the violent have responded. Of course, you know from reading the other parables that we've been in, this is not the only one in which there's all this violence. You think of the last, last week's sermon, the parable of the tenants, or as the, the older books would call it, the wicked husbandmen, who, when the vineyard owner sends people to collect the produce of the vineyard, they kill the servant after they beat one stoned a third one, and then he sends more, and you can imagine being like the next guy who's told, you need to go, <laughs> and the other ones haven't come back. And finally, he sends his son. He says, look, surely they'll respect my son. He said, you know, if we take him out, then we can just take what's his. So, the kingdom of God has been advancing forcefully the violent have come against it. Here again, we have a, a picture of people rebelliously 
resisting the good thing that is being offered to them. Oh, I don't know if the king didn't get along with these people, or if they were trying to make a point or score political points with people that hated that other king and say, I won't have anything to do with, with his, his wed- son's wedding banquet. The king's response is, of course, to take care of them. Sent his army, destroyed their, those murderers, and burned their city for good measure. But then what did he do? It's like, I got all this veal. Go out. Find everybody you can. And bring them in. And the story says that servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, both good and bad. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. Everybody was there. Everybody, except the ones who refused the invitation. But there was one of them who wasn't wearing the right clothes. And I can't get away from that thing about the robe, can I? I mean, none of these people who would have been at this wedding banquet could have afforded to have the kind of robe you need to be at a king's son's wedding banquet. You don't just have one of those sitting in the closet that you dust off. Those all would have been provided. The king would have provided for his guests the things they need, needed to be acceptable, to be properly dressed. And so for one person to not wear the robe was not only bad manners, it was a repudiation of the king's hospitality. It was a declaration that he was not going to be at the wedding the king was throwing. He was not going to be at the party on the terms of the person who was throwing it. He was going to do things his own way. I'm not going to wear those fancy wedding clothes that all you people are wearing. You know, I guess if you're not willing to get on board, you're going to miss out. There's nothing at all that the king did to make this person not be acceptable, not put on the right clothes. Nothing his servants did. He just decided he was going to have things his way. And the king's response was, okay, have it your way. If your way is not to be at my party, then you're not going to be at my party. I think there's a picture of this in the way that we celebrate the Eucharist. In our Book of Common Prayer, you'll note that before we get to the Eucharist, we have the service for holy baptism. In our Anglican tradition, we welcome all baptized people to come and to receive the body and blood of Christ, to come to His great wedding banquet, to come to the feast. Now, if you're here and you haven't been baptized, by the way, let me know. We can take care of that. 
Uh, we've got the bishop coming in January, and then you can get confirmed. Um, both of those are, are important, but baptism comes first. But we come not being purified on our own, on our own account. We come because we are wearing not our own filthy clothes, but we are clothed in Christ's righteousness. That's what happens when we are baptized. We're made new. That's what's symbolized by the wearing of, of an alb, of this, this white robe. It means that we are clothed in Christ. There's a Christian hip-hop artist named Shai Lin. He puts it this way. So in view of God's mercies, we remove our worldly uniforms and throw on crucified jerseys. All of us, when we come to the table together, we come wearing our crucified jerseys. Not because we could have gotten them ourselves, but because our Lord, our King, has so graciously provided them for us so that when we come to His Son's wedding feast, we are in exactly the right place. Amen.